before you're seated, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege that we have to follow you. It's a privilege, Father, to read and study your word. It's a privilege to know that the Holy Ghost gives us utterance. I pray, Father, that the Spirit of God would be thick in this place today to show us your plan, your purpose, and your will for our lives individually and as a church family. Thank you, Father, for making yourself real to us today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to two openings of Scripture, Zechariah chapter 10 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We started a series last uh, Sunday morning that, uh, well, on spiritual gifts. I'm not sure what they're going to title it, but um, it'll be about spiritual gifts. And we want to pick up with some things that we said last time and go a little bit further. Start with Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Now, Hosea chapter 6, verse 3, talking about the move of God in the last days, says that he shall come to us as the rain, as the early and the latter rain. So when the Holy Ghost uses uh, a type or an illustration, he's consistent throughout the, uh, the Scripture. For example, when the Holy Ghost inspired Zechariah to, to write down these words, he knew that he had already identified himself Himself, meaning the move of the the move of God, the work of the Holy Spirit as the rain. So here, where it's saying, "Ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain," it's saying, "Ask for a move of God or a move of the Holy Spirit in the last days." Now, if we do that, he said, "So the Lord shall make bright clouds." This word, "bright clouds," is uh, the margin of my Bible says lightnings. Yours may say something similar. It's translated lightnings once in Job. Uh, it's talking about a manifestation of God's power, a demonstration of God's power and a manifestation of his presence. You remember in the Old Testament, God appeared in the cloud of glory or a bright cloud. Well, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about a demonstration of God's power and a manifestation of his presence. So he said, if we'll ask for the move of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost will move in power and demonstration. He said also, so the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain. Now, if the rain is the moving of the Holy Ghost, then it's talking about an outpouring or showers of Holy Ghost moves. Now, keep that in mind because we're going to talk about that a little bit further as we go. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain and move of the Holy Ghost in the last days. So the Lord shall make, shall make, shall make bright clouds. Shall make bright clouds. God said it's a done deal. You do your part and it's a done deal shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain, outpourings of the Spirit, to everyone grass in the field. Now, the grass in the field, the only thing God ever cares about as far as harvest is concerned is people. James chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Well, we know he hadn't come yet because he's not here. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the Lord has long patience for it. The husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and he has long patience for it. Until he received the early and the latter rain. In other words, it's saying that there's a harvest, an end time harvest that's, that God has ordained before Jesus comes back to receive the church to himself. And when I say that, I mean the rapture. I'm talking about Jesus coming back and receiving the church and taking the church away from the earth so that the tribulation and some of the other things talked about in the book of Revelation shall take place or can take place. 
Bible says the Antichrist can't even show up as long as the church is here. Well, I wish the church knew what kind of power we had. But we're learning. Thank God we're learning. So it says the precious fruit of the earth, that precious fruit of the earth that's brought about by the light of rain has got to be this grass in the field in Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1. It's talking about a harvest of people. In other words, it's saying in the last days, God's plan is for a demonstration of his power and a manifestation of his presence to bring in people into the kingdom of God. So he's saying that the, that the end time harvest is not going to be that we're going to share with them our Christian philosophies, that we're going to convince them with our great preaching and teaching, but it's going to be a powerful move of God that sweeps people into the kingdom of God. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writing by the Spirit of God says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. We've said it before and we'll probably say it every time we read this verse because I, I want to make sure you understand this. The word gifts is in italics, which means it's not in the original translation. It's not in the original Greek. In the original Greek, this would read, now concerning spirituals, brethren. The word spiritual is in the plural. Now concerning spirituals, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Well, you could well understand the translators need to put something in there because nobody would understand what spirituals mean. But in the original Greek, the word spirituals is translated to mean things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. So it would read this way, literally, now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. I would not have you to be ignorant. I would not have you to be ignorant. Who's I? Well, Paul's doing the writing, but aren't the words that he's writing inspired by the Holy Ghost? So could we not say that the Holy Ghost is saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about me. Now remember over in Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds, a display of his power and a manifestation of his presence, and give them showers of rain. Now what are these showers of rain? The showers of rain are the ways that the Holy Ghost manifests himself in the church. And that's what chapter 12, at least part of what chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is all about. And it's the Holy Ghost saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about how I move. I don't want you to be ignorant about how I manifest myself. I don't want you to be ignorant about the displays of my power. So we need to know about these things. Now, folks, understand something. Verse 1 is not just Paul's introduction to, a, to an important subject. Verse 1 is the Holy Ghost saying, I want you to know how I want to move. It's not Paul saying, let's pray so that the Holy Ghost will move. You know, God doesn't really like to do that kind of stuff, but if we harass him enough, then maybe he'll do something. It's the Holy Ghost saying, I need you to know how I want to move and manifest myself. It's God's will, it's God's plan, and it's God's purpose, especially in the last days. I believe that's where we are. But it's God's plan and purpose especially in the last days, to move and to demonstrate himself in power and in the very manifestation of his presence. In the very manifestation of his presence. Now look with me over to chapter 14. Paul deals with some things with the Corinthian church. 
to bring order to their, to their meetings and their services and so forth. And notice in verse 24, we're going to pull out a couple of things in, uh, out of context here just to make the point. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 24, he said, But if I'll prophesy, now the word prophesy, the, or prophecy in its simplest form, according to the scripture, is inspired utterance in a known language, a language known to the, to the speaker, a language that would therefore be known to the hearer. In a known language, an understood language, for the purpose of bringing edification, which means to strengthen or build up, edification, exhortation, which means to encourage, and comfort. Well, everybody knows what comfort is. It means to bring peace. So it's saying prophecy, in its simplest form, builds you up or strengthens you. It encourages you, and it brings you peace. But Paul has to be talking about prophecy in two different forms in, in the, these letters that he writes. There's a simple gift of prophecy. For example, if I'm inspired to tell you just in simple forms, in simple terms, God loves you so much. God wants you to know that he loves you so much. Well, you might be in a situation where you just really need to hear that, and so it encourages you. But he's also got to be talking about prophecy in a general sense. That would be prophecy in a specific sense, edification, exhortation, and comfort. But in a general sense, he has to be referring to prophecy in a different term because he's talking about revealing secrets of people's hearts. He's talking about something that brings revelation. Notice he says in verse four, uh, 24, he said, but if I'll prophesy, here's this general term for prophecy, if I'll prophesy and there comes in one that believes not or is unlearned, the unsaved or the un uninformed, the untaught in spiritual things, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. In other words, it's saying that God wants to manifest himself in a way that reveals people's heart secrets. Not to embarrass anybody. Not to expose anybody. There are rare cases where that has been the, uh, that's the way that it operates. But it's a very rare situation. But it's talking about people having their heart's secret revealed for the purpose of realizing that God is there. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face... He will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Now stop and think about what that means. That means that one of the ways that the Holy Ghost wants to manifest himself, increasingly so in the last days, is to cause people to know that the presence of God and the power of God is among us and within the church body. God wants the world to know that his power is present in the church. God wants that. That's what God wants. Well, Pastor Mike, if that's what God wants, why don't we see that more? Because the church doesn't want it. Or what the church wants, they want for the wrong reasons for the biggest part. Most people want to operate in spiritual gifts and operate in the power of the Spirit so that they can build a name for themselves. God's not much into that. God's not really into sharing his glory with man. But the Bible tells the church to desire spiritual gifts. It tells us to covet the best gifts. Now remember, he's not writing to, to Jim Brown in the church at Corinth. He's writing to the whole church. So he's telling the whole church to covet these things. He's telling the whole church to desire these things. He's telling the whole church to ask of the Lord reign in the time of the latter reign. He's telling us that if we will desire spiritual gifts for the right reasons... 
so that the church is built up, so that the church is edified, so that there's no lack in the body in any means whatsoever, and so that the world realizes that the power of God is in us truly. If that's our desire, if that's our pursuit, then God's saying, I'm already on board. How many of you want to see the manifestation of the Spirit of God in the last days? God wants it more than you do. All we have to do is learn how to cooperate with him. All we have to do is learn how to pray in the right way for the right reason, with the right purpose in mind, with the right motives, and then cooperate when he begins to move. That's all it takes, folks. We don't have to try to wrangle spiritual gifts out of God. We don't have to try to convince him of anything. We don't have to try to beg and plead and cajole him or any other word that we could use. God is already on board for manifesting the Holy Ghost among us. We just have to get on board and learn how to operate. Now back to chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. God does not want us ignorant of things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. He doesn't want you to be ignorant as an individual. He doesn't want us to be ignorant as a church body. Now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. God wants to move and manifest himself in our midst. He wants to move. He wants to manifest himself so that people's needs are met and so that the world knows that he's here. That ought to get a better amen. Can you see that that's what it says? Can you see that this is the Holy Ghost initiating information and knowledge to the church for the express purpose of doing what God has planned and ordained to be done from the beginning? God ordained before man was ever made that man would be redeemed and that Jesus would come back for the church. But before he came back, there would be a great harvest to sweep people into the multitudes into the kingdom of heaven. What's going to bring that about? The only thing the Bible says will do it is the early and the latter rain, the move of the Holy Ghost. A demonstration of God's power and a manifestation of his presence. And in the Old Testament, when the Holy Ghost manifested himself, the cloud of glory presented itself. People weren't able to stand up. It said the priests, at the dedication of Solomon's temple, it said the priests weren't able to stand, stand upright to minister because of the manifestation of the glory cloud. When the glory cloud separated Moses from the people, when there were times where the people wanted to stone him and they got upset and they were murmuring against him and so forth, people fell on their faces. God wants to do some really neat stuff in the last days. I believe God wants to do things that we haven't seen yet. The Bible says that the last day glory will be greater than the former glory. Well, that means everything that we had before and plus some things we haven't seen yet then, isn't it? Doesn't that have to be, isn't that what it has to mean? This is what God wants to do. Well, back to chapter 12. Now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. 
Skip down to verse 4. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. We covered verses 2 and 3 last time, and I don't want to spend any more time on it this morning. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now, notice that word gifts is not in italics. That word is there. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. Notice both Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Ghost are all mentioned concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, concerning the last day move of God. The entirety of the Godhead is involved in God's plan, God's purpose, God's ordained plan for an end-time harvest to be won by the power of God. I think we could say from this, folks, that God is all in. But, verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now, notice the gifts aren't given to every man. The manifestation is given. See, some people have the wrong idea, the erroneous idea, that they've got certain of these gifts, that they've got a gift of healing, or that they've got the, the gift of the word of knowledge or the word of wisdom or something like that. Nobody has those gifts. Those gifts are God's and God's alone. But God divides the manifestation to man. God divides the manifestation. What that means is simply this. If God uses someone in the word of wisdom or word of knowledge or any of these, they can't just turn it on and off any time they want to. If the gift was theirs, then they could use it any time they desired. But the gift is not theirs. The manifestation is divided to them. Now, God may use somebody in a certain way in, in ministry frequently, oftentimes with these different manifestations. But if the, if the manifestation is not in operation, they're dead in the water. They have no ability to make it work on their own. And here's where some people have gotten in trouble in times past throughout the history of the church because they felt like, since this is the way God usually uses them, that people come to see them perform. That people come to see them use these manifestations of these gifts. And when it's not in operation, when it's not in manifestation, they try to make it work anyway on their own. And some people have opened themselves up to the work of the devil. Not because they intended to, not because they were insincere or trying to mislead people, but you can't make the Holy Ghost move. These manifestations are divided to every man severally as he wills. Not as we will, but as he wills. Now here's, here's one of the things that we need to be knowledgeable about too. What that means is we can't build a foundation for our life or our church on a desire for spiritual gifts. The Bible tells us to desire them. The Bible tells us to covet them. The Bible tells us to pray for them. But what are we supposed to do if the Holy Ghost is not in manifestation? Well, we've always got the Word. See, the Word is supposed to be the foundation. And the fact that the, the Corinthians are misled in the way that the Holy Ghost is moving among them and their cooperation with the Holy Ghost is because they don't have a foundation of the teaching of the Word to know. Well, what's going to bring them the necessary knowledge so that they're no longer ignorant? Now, they are ignorant. They've got the manifestation of the Spirit of God, 
They, in fact, Paul said in chapter 1 and verse 7 that they come behind in no good gift. That means they've got all the manifestations of the Spirit in operation. That means they've got gifts of healings. That means they've had miracles among them. That means all the works of the Holy Ghost are in operation. Yet Paul says they're ignorant about how the Holy Ghost wants to move. Now, I know a lot of people would be satisfied with the ignorance of the Corinthians because they are experiencing the supernatural, even the miraculous. But the Holy Ghost wrote to the church that seemed to have the most operation of the supernatural among them, saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about how I move. It comes down to this, folks. We've got to have a foundation of the Word. It has to be the Word first and then the Spirit. And you can't reverse those. You can't put the Spirit of God first. Now, some people will think that's a blasphemous statement. Well, of course we want to put the Spirit of God first. Well, if you put the Word first, you are putting the Spirit of God first. Because the Word is given by the Spirit. What you can't put first is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? I don't mind you being quiet as long as I know you're getting something. I'm not complaining because I get quiet when I'm paying the most attention. So that's okay. But nod at me or something every now and then. Blink, let me know that you're there. Paul says in verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another the gifts of healings. In the original both gifts and healings are in the plural. Gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, but all these worketh. Thank God they all work. But all these worketh the one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Now, the word severally means two things. It means more than one, and it means specifically in other words, the Holy Ghost is very specific in the way that he manifests himself. And the Holy Ghost is not chintzy or stingy when it comes to his willingness to manifest himself. He's not saying, and as a matter of fact, he's saying just the opposite. It's not a matter of someone being given a certain manifestation and that's the only one that they can ever have. Or that that's the only way God could ever use them. He's instructing us to be open to his work at any way, at any time. Just because God hasn't used you in a certain way ever before doesn't mean that he'll never use you from this point forward. The Holy Ghost wants to move. He's just looking for willing vessels to which, through which he can move. Now, we're going to take this list. This is a list of nine manifestations of the Spirit. We're going to take this list over the next several weeks. And I've really gotten my heart to the... Um, um, well, I believe the Holy Ghost is telling me to take my time with this. It'd be real easy to, to say, well, there's nine manifestations of the Spirit, so that's nine weeks. Let's cover one per week, and, you know, after that, people will lose interest. Well, if you lose interest in the manifestation of the Holy Ghost, folks, you got bigger issues to deal with. <laughs> with all due respect. So we're going to take this list of nine manifestations of the Spirit. We're going to divide them up individually talk about them individually but then we're also going to talk about them as groups because of this list of nine there are three of them that reveal something 
There are three of these manifestations that do something. And there are three of these manifestations that say something. In other words, the ones that say something are the utterance gifts or the vocal gifts. The ones that do something are the power gifts. And the ones that reveal something are the revelation gifts. So let's start with the revelation gifts. Let's start with the word of knowledge. The first, the three revelation gifts are the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. But let's start with the word of knowledge first because I think it makes the others easier to understand. The word of knowledge is, is simply defined as this. It's a supernatural revelation of certain facts in the mind of God. It's a supernatural revelation of certain facts in the mind of God. Now, it's maybe one of the the best ways for us to start this, and there are a lot of uh, examples in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. But let me uh, me remind you, we've just recently finished the, the series on the seven letters to the churches where John was on the Isle of Patmos, and Jesus appeared to him and told him things to write to the seven churches. Think about those seven churches and the information that he received. There was very specific information given by Jesus in the vision in, that, in which he appeared to John. There was very specific information that was given about each of those seven churches. Information that John wouldn't have. Even if John had had experience, and he did, with each of these seven churches and the pastors and, and had a history with them, there were things that had taken place during the time that he was there on the Isle of Patmos in exile that he would have no way to be aware of. He would have no knowledge of whatsoever. But the, the specificity, the specific nature of what Jesus revealed to him had to be supernatural. It had to be divine revelation. Jesus calls certain people's names and talks about what they've done in the church. He talks about certain elements and aspects of the church that only somebody that was there and present with them at the present time would even know. But John received a revelation, a divine revelation from God about what was going on in each one of those seven churches. That's the word of knowledge. It's a divine revelation or supernatural revelation of certain facts in the minds of God, in the mind of God, excuse me. Certain facts in the mind of God. The word of knowledge always deals with past tense or present tense things, never future tense. You get into future tense, you're talking about the word of wisdom. Now, it's not the gift of knowledge. See, the modern-day church, or at least a portion of the modern-day church, has tried to take the supernatural aspect out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They say, for example, diversities of tongues was necessary in the early days of the church, but now we have education and means of, of learning different languages, so we don't need diversities of tongues, or that's what diversities of tongues means for today. Well, folks, if we've traded a supernatural means of communication... For a college degree, I would suggest we got the short end of the stick. And some people will say that gifts of healings were necessary in the early days of the church and when Jesus was here on the earth. But now we have medical science and the advancement of medical science and knowledge and so forth. So we don't need gifts of healings or gifts of healings is, is satisfied by the work of the doctors and hospitals. Well, if that's the case, folks, we got the short end of the stick again. Now, each of these is a supernatural revelation. And some would say that, the, that this word of knowledge is gained or obtained through a great knowledge of Scripture, a great knowledge of the Bible. Well, the Bible says, study to show yourself approved. 
a workman approved unto God, that needeth not to be ashamed. And so it's good to have a great knowledge of the Bible. But we're talking about something that's divinely revealed. We're talking about something that doesn't come through study. So it's not the gift of knowledge. And there's so much misunderstanding. There's so much ignorance in the body of Christ about what these things are because there's so little experience. I guess that's the reason. There's so little experience with most of the church world when it comes to supernatural things. Christianity, for most of the church world, it seems, has boiled down to just life experience. And what we've experienced is what we know, and what we've never experienced, we don't know. Well, there may be things we've never experienced, but if the Bible says that God wants to do them, then shouldn't we pursue them? I believe we should. So the word of knowledge is supernatural revelation of certain facts in the minds of God. Now turn back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 9. We'll look at some of the Old Testament examples first off. And then I don't know if we'll have time to get to it. Well, I know we won't now. We won't have time to get to the New Testament examples this week. But we'll take up some of those next time. 1 Samuel chapter 9. This is when Israel is calling for a king. They reject Samuel as the prophet to be their mouthpiece and... and, um, uh, conduit of information from God and so they decide they want a king like the other nations of the earth and that's exactly what they got they got a king like the other nations of the earth King Saul was the first man that was chosen to be king and you remember he starts off okay he starts off humble but then he gets turned around and starts doing his own thing rather than what God tells him to do and um, chapter 9 tells us about when Saul comes to Samuel. Now he came for Samuel, came to Samuel because he was searching for certain animals that his father that belonged to his father that had gotten lost. And it was a series of events, I guess, that God's hand was in to try to lead Saul to the right place, to be at the right place at the right time. And so it says in first Samuel chapter nine, let's pick up and say uh, uh, let's start in verse eighteen. It said, Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me into the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let thee go and will tell thee all that is in thine heart. Now notice what Samuel says. He says, I'm going to give you revelation. I'm going to give you revelation. And as, verse 20, and as for thine asses, those are the animals that Saul is looking for, and as for thine asses that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, for they are found. Now, how would he know that? How would Samuel know that? Now, here's something about the word of knowledge that's, uh, that's important to realize, and that is, it very rarely works and operates alone. Very seldom does it operate independently of, the, uh, of some other of the manifestations of the Spirit because it's a signpost. It's something to draw attention to something else. In this case, Samuel tells Saul that the animals were found because he's establishing the supernatural, the, the, the supernatural aspect of his ministry and therefore the credibility to the words that he's going to tell Saul from the Lord. He tells him the animals are going to be, uh, have already been found 
because he's leading him to the place before anybody else ever finds out, before it becomes public. He's leading him to the place where he understands God's call upon his life as king. It starts off in the next chapter, chapter 10. It tells us about how that uh, the next thing that takes place is that Samuel pours a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is this, is it not because the Lord has anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? Saul anoints, uh, I'm sorry, Samuel anoints Saul to be king before the, the public ever finds out about it. Now, further on in chapter 10, it tells us how that lots were drawn and it was revealed by the way that everybody was accustomed to where God chose Saul. Now, here's where, where another uh, revelation, gift of revelation is, is uh, or another word of knowledge, I should say, uh, is uh, in operation. In chapter 10, in verse, uh, uh, let's start with verse uh, 20. It says, and when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. This is where they're casting lots, and, and Samuel is showing God's will and God's purpose in uh, choosing the king. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near their families, by their families, the family of Matri was taken, and Saul the son of Kish was taken, and when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further if the man should yet come hither. And the Lord answered, Behold, he has hid himself behind the stuff. Now Saul starts off real humble, and so when he finds out God's plan for him he doesn't feel up to the task and so he hides himself when it becomes a, a public operation but notice the word of knowledge comes and reveals where Saul was hiding now how would anybody know where was where Saul was hiding that's the whole pur purpose of being hidden didn't it so that nobody knows where you are but God knows where everybody's hiding he knows where you hide he knows where I hide and there are parts of us that are, that are always there at least well, it shouldn't be this way, but for most of us, we try to keep things hidden. But God reveals where somebody was hidden. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this story to me is that uh, uh, Brother Hagin talked about a church, one of the churches he pastored, a church in Farmersville, Texas, I believe. And he said that he was teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, manifestations of the Spirit, and he used this example as, uh, concerning the word of knowledge from the Bible, just like we just did. And he said... In that town, 22 years before, there had been a young girl, 16-year-old year girl, that had gone missing. And everybody had their own ideas about what had happened. At the time, she had kind of gotten in with some of the wrong people in the gang that was uh, suspected of doing a lot of wrong things and even killing somebody and that kind of stuff. And so the police were, were zeroing in on them, so to speak. They were really after them and pursuing them and, and were getting closer to getting the information they needed to prosecute them and, and so forth. Well, just before that took place, the gang took off. They got word and wind that, uh, uh, that the police was hot on their tail and so forth. And so everybody was wondering about what happened to this 16-year-old girl. Now, the, the consensus was in town that they had killed this young girl because they figured she being much younger than the rest of the people involved that if the police were able to pressure her, then she'd give up their location and, you know, information about them and that kind of stuff. And they had even dragged the, the lake in the city, thinking that maybe they had dumped the body in the lake and, and so forth. Well, it had been 22 years 
and nobody had heard from him, this girl. This girl, if she was alive, would be uh, 38 years old at that time. And, uh, and Brother Hagin said that some of the women came to him of the church and said, Brother Hagin, before you came here and explained the situation about the young girl and so forth, and then they, they said, now, if God knew where Samuel was hiding, wouldn't God know whether she's still alive? Oh, well, yeah, sure he would. Well, then, if we asked him, wouldn't he tell us? Well, yeah, I guess he would. So the, these ladies made it upon, uh, uh, took it upon themselves to start praying about this. And they prayed about it and prayed about it. And went on for several weeks. And finally, at the end of several weeks and the end of, of pursuing this in prayer, one of these ladies in the prayer meeting had a vision. And in this vision, they saw a lady that was in a house. They saw where the house was located uh, geographically. In other words, they saw that it was down by a little bayou, a little uh, uh, bit of water and, and so forth. Kind of saw the, the, the local surroundings. And in this house, she was able to move around, but she had a chain tied around her leg. So she was obviously restricted from being able to get outside the house and so forth. And after she saw this vision, the Spirit of the Lord came upon her, and she began to prophesy. And she prophesied that within 30 days' time, this girl was alive, and that within 30 days' time, her parents would hear from her. Well, that created a big stir in the church. Brother Hagin said some of the, his deacons came to him. I said, now, Brother Hagin, you you got to put a stop to this. you got to just stop this right now. You know just as well as we do that this girl is dead. And when these 30 days come around and she hasn't heard, and, you know, the family hasn't heard from her, then this is going to create a real mess in the church. Brother Hagin said, well, it's in the first place. I don't know that she's dead. I know that that's what most people accept to be true, but we don't know for sure. And he said, and if it had come through anybody else in the church, I might question it. But he said, you know the, the, the woman that this thing came through. You know her, her life. You know her testimony. You know that she's the most spiritual person among us. He said, now, if it had come from you or one of your other friends, <laughs> he said, I might feel compelled to say something about it publicly. He said, but I trust her. If she, told, if she prophesied that the sun was going to come up in the west in the morning, he said, I'd get up and look west. And he said, and finally... He said, finally, he said, this is an easy thing for us to identify whether it's real or not. He said, all we got to do is wait 30 days. He said, if we do something about it and then in 30 days' time it comes past, we're all going to look like fools. He said, if we wait and let it play itself out, then we'll be able to see clearly what happens, whether or not it was God. So time went on. 30 days goes by, and the, the parents wind up getting a letter from this young girl just as it was prophesied, just as the Lord spoke to them. Winds up coming back to see them. This young girl had children of her own by then. And what happened is one of the, the older guys in the gang knew that the gang was planning to kill the girl, so he took her and ran. And he tried to, he was, uh, she could certainly have implicated him in some of the wrongdoing of the gang and so forth, so he kept her prisoner for a long time until finally her children grew up she, uh, one of her son grew up to be bigger than the, than the father and finally put an end to all this tying mom up in the house type stuff and they came to see their parents and were reunited. Now what I found interesting about that 
is that the church took it upon themselves, or at least certain ones in the church, took it upon themselves because Brother Hagin was teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. I think that's a bigger lesson than just the results that took place in that church and in that family. See, the Bible says to desire these things, which implies that if we don't desire them, if we don't pursue them, if we don't go after this stuff, then God will let us try to do it on our own. Now, let's look at a couple others real quickly before we go this morning. We'll stay with the Old Testament and make it easy. Turn with me over to 2 Kings chapter 5. Second Kings chapter 5 tells us the story of, of Naaman. Naaman was a captain in the king of uh, uh, in the Syrian army. And he talked to the king of Syria and, and found out from a little servant girl that, uh, that was in his house that there was a prophet over in um, Israel that could heal him, Naaman, of his leprosy. So Naaman makes a plan and, and gets together a caravan and goes down to see uh, Elisha, who was the prophet in Israel. And Elisha doesn't even come out to see him. He comes, and as a very important man, he would expect to be received and, you know, with honors and all that kind of stuff. And Elisha, uh, he doesn't want to interrupt his TV show, so he doesn't, come even, he doesn't even come outside. He just sends word by his servant, Gehazi. He said, go tell Naaman to dip seven times in the Jordan River, and he'll come again clean. Well, Naaman gets upset about this. He's important. He's hot. And so he says, you know, why in the world should I have to travel all this way to dip seven times in the Jordan River, one of the dirtiest rivers around. There's better, better water and better rivers where I live. Why in the world should I have to do this? And finally, his servants calm him down and say, <clears throat> you know, if he had asked you to do something hard, you'd have done it. Isn't that interesting? We jump through hoops because somehow or another we believe that must be God. And finally, they convince him, saying, what would it hurt to do what he said to do? So he does. He goes and does it. Simple enough. Well, you know there's no healing in dipping in water. If that were the case, then we'd get healed every time we went swimming. And a lot more people would go swimming, I'm sure. No, it was a supernatural aspect. It was just a manifestation of the Holy Ghost in operation. And so he dips seven times in the Jordan River, and he's cleansed of his leprosy. Well, now Naaman is just as happy as can be. You could well understand. He's so glad to be rid of this thing. Now he doesn't care how it worked or why it worked the way it did. None of that matters anymore. It should be a good lesson for us just to do what God said do. <clears throat> and so he returns to where Naaman is. Or I'm sorry, Naaman returns to where Elisha is. Returns to the house and he says, oh boy, man, you were right. I'm clean. Leprosy is gone. Totally healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Now, let me give you something because of the great kindness you've shown unto me. And Elisha won't do it. Elisha says, is it a time to receive offerings? Literally, what he means is, if I let you give me something, you'd think you bought it. You'd think God answered because of your, the greatness of your position and your ability with wealth and, and so on and so forth. He said, now is not the time to receive offerings. So he sent him on his way. Well, Naaman's going... Glad to receive his healing. And the Bible says that Gehazi, who was Elisha's servant, 
ran after him. Let him got a little way over the hill, you know, whatever it was. And ran after him and then told him a lie. Let's pick up with Gehazi in verse... Uh, Well, let's, let's go with verse, start in verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian and not receiving in his hands that which he brought. In other words, the offering and the stuff that he planned to give him anyway. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take something of him. So Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from his chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, liar, my master has sent me, saying, Behold, even now there come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garment. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants, and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, that means Gehazi returned to where Elisha was, he took them from this, their hand and bestowed them in the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? Literally, where you been? And Gehazi said, Thy servant went nowhere. And Elisha said this. Notice verse 26. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee when the man turned again? From his chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? The leprosy thereof of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper white as snow. A couple of things I want you to see. First of all, Gehazi, who's been his servant for some time, some period of time, we don't know exactly how long, but it's not just an overnight type thing. He's been with him for a while. Gehazi has to know that Elisha doesn't know everything. Because if he suspected that Elisha knew everything, he wouldn't have taken the chance to try this. He would have known he had been found out before he ever attempted it. So he knows that the prophet, who is the seer, who receives divine revelation from God, doesn't receive divine revelation about anything and everything all the time. In other words, it's selective. If it's that way with the prophet, wouldn't it be that way with you and me? And see, that's what I was talking about before. Some people get themselves in trouble because they, they claim to be certain things, whether a ministry office or whatever it is, and they feel compelled to operate in something that they attempt to persuade people is supernatural to think something about themselves. But somebody that's really used from God and understands the manifestation of the Spirit who's not ignorant of things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, knows that it's only what God gives them. If God gives them something fine, they'll use it. And if they don't have anything, you can't give it to yourself. And that's so important, folks, because so many people want to be used, and their desire is sincere. They want to be used. They're praying, oh, God, use me, God, use me, God, use me. And then the presence of God will come into a service, for example. We've all seen this. The presence of God will come into a service, and people will get some kind of feeling and feel compelled to do something. And so they step out and they do something. Maybe they prophesy. Maybe they speak in tongues. Maybe they do something else, run, dance, jump, holler, whatever. 
And it doesn't lift the service. It doesn't bring blessing to the crowd of the congregation. But somebody can do something very simple, inspired by the Holy Ghost, and it'll lift everybody. Brother Hagin used to talk about a little fellow that would dance people into the altar. He said God used him in one of the most unusual ways. He said that, uh, that there was, and the first time that it happened was in Brother Hagin's little small church, and this little fellow, uneducated, older guy, Brother Hagin was impressed that, uh, by the Holy Spirit that he had something, that this other fellow had something. And so Brother Hagin called him out, and he said, Brother so-and-so, he said, uh, seems to me like the Lord wants to use you in some way. And so the fellow kind of nodded his head a little bit and dropped his head. Never done this before. And then he kind of stepped out, and there was a, you know, a little platform that they had, and so he stepped out to the side. And uh, he said that he started trying to say something. And he said he stumbled over his words, and it didn't make sense, and just making a mess of things. So after a few, few attempts at this, didn't take long, but a few attempts, he finally just dropped his head and just kind of shook his head and then just started doing a little dance. That's all you're going to get out of me. <laughs> so he started doing this little dance. He said it went on for about a minute, and people are looking, kind of wondering, what in the world is going on? He said after about a minute of this, he said the Spirit of God hit that place. And people, unsaved people, started running to the altar. Now, folks, show me any scripture, show me any chapter and verse for dancing the unsaved into the altar. Brother Hagin said that happened four or five times during the, the couple of years that he was there. And every time it was the same. It was the only way that he was ever aware of that that little fellow was ever used in any way whatsoever by the Holy Ghost. Certainly in a public sense, it was the only way that, uh, that Brother Hagin knew about. But he'd dance them into the altar. And he said every time, he said it was just a, an unusual way that the Holy Ghost would use him. Well, if you tried to put that on on your own, she wouldn't have any kind of effect. So back to Gehazi. Gehazi knew that the, that the, that the prophet, Elisha, was a seer of divine revelation. But it doesn't always operate. He thought that it was something he could get by with. But now notice the second thing about this. second part I want you to see is the way that it operated. Now notice some things that we've talked about before. The seven churches of Revelation, the word of knowledge came by Jesus appearing to John in a vision. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, the prophet just knows. We don't know how he knows. We don't know if it's something the Holy Ghost told him. We don't know if there was any supernatural aspect to it other than just the, the seer says the animals you're looking for are found. The next time we see it operating or what we saw so far is when Saul hid himself among the stuff and the Lord said, here's where he's hiding. Well, how did the Lord say it? I assume that the Lord told the prophet. That would be the only way they'd be able to hear from the Lord is through the prophet, isn't it? So I assume it was just the Lord that spoke to the prophet and he relayed the information. But now this time, Elisha says that his heart went with Gehazi when he joined himself to the chariot. In other words, Elisha is saying, I saw it like I was there with you. I saw it like I was there with you. 
went not my heart with you when you joined yourself to the chariot. Now, remember the Bible says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that there are diversities of operations. That seems to indicate to us that these manifestations of the Spirit can operate in different ways at different times. Same manifestation, but in different ways. Sometimes the word of knowledge just comes through information from God. Just an inward knowing. You just all of a sudden know it. Other times it's where the Lord speaks to you and tells you something you didn't know before. And apparently it works the same way or works in a different way on occasion. At least it did with Elisha where it was like he was there when it was taking place. Can you see that? I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is when we try to put God in a box. We try to assume or we do assume that since God worked this way before, he'll always work this way again. When we do that, we make a mistake. God wants us always to be open to his leading. He wants to always keep us aware of his ability to do the impossible. Let me close with this. God wants, 1 Corinthians 12, 1, now, Concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. The Holy Ghost does not want you ignorant. He does not want his church ignorant of how he wants to, intends to, and plans to move. I believe we can expect to see some great things in the last days. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege to not be ignorant of the things of the Spirit. What a privilege, Father, it is to know that your plan for the last days is to bring in a great harvest of souls into the kingdom of God. Your instruction to us, Father, is to ask of you rain in the time of the latter rain so that you can demonstrate your power and manifest your presence. And give us showers or outpourings of revelation gifts and power gifts and vocal gifts to bring about that precious fruit of the earth. So, Father, we ask you for the rain. We ask you, Father, to move by the Spirit of God, not according to our plans or our purposes, but to move according to your plan and your purpose. We ask you, Father, to awaken churches worldwide to the times that we live in, to the greatness of your power, and to your plan to move by the Holy Ghost. We don't pray selfishly, Father. We do want the manifestation of the Spirit. We want to be like the Corinthian church, only with knowledge, that we come behind in no good gift. We want the world to know of our church that the power of God is present among us and available to help. We want to make manifest the secrets of men's hearts so that they would report that God is in us of a truth. We want these things for ourselves, Father, even according to what your word said that we should want. But we don't just pray for ourselves. We pray that you would move in every church that names the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior.
We pray that you would move in every church that desires these things. And Father, we pray that you would make a way to move in churches that don't even believe in the power of the Holy Ghost as you are able. Awaken the church, Father. Cause the church to realize the day and the hour that we live. Cause the church to realize that the only hope for this world, not just our nation, but the only hope for this world is Jesus. Father, awaken your people so that the things of God are more important to them than anything else in their lives. We ask in Jesus' precious name. And we commit to you, Father, that we'll continue to pray for these things with the help of the Holy Ghost. We love you, Father. What a privilege it is to serve you. What a privilege it is to know that we're standing on the rock of your word the truth of the word of God that nothing can shake us with that strong foundation under us Oh, Father, so many are in situations, crisis, when all they need to do is commit themselves wholly to you. That your word has the answer. Your word is the answer. And you'll lead them by the Holy Ghost, the spirit of truth, the spirit of reality. You'll lead them into victory. If only we'll let go and quit trying to do it ourselves. And follow after you. The Lord's talking to somebody. Maybe more than one, but I know there's somebody. And what he's saying by the Holy Spirit is this. Let go. You can't fix this. But if you'll let go and put it in my hands and just do what my word says to do, I'll lead you into victory. I'll lead you into victory. It's not about your past. You're not disqualified because of what you've done before. Just let it go. And turn it over to me. Hallelujah. Lord, we pray for that person or those people that you're speaking to. We pray that they would do exactly what they've been instructed to do. That they'd quit trying to mess with it themselves. That they'll turn it over to you. So that you can make it right.
You know, folks, there are some things that only God can fix. We need to have the wisdom to let the, the only one that can fix it do what he will do. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for dwelling in us. We thank you for being among us. We thank you for manifesting yourself according to your plan and purpose, according to your will. In Jesus' precious name. If you can agree with that, say amen. Amen. Well, let's all stand together. Hallelujah. How many of you will join with us in praying for the rain? Amen. It needs to be a, it needs to be a, a, a church body, a corporate effort. It's not enough for a couple of us to want it. We've got to want it together. Amen. Okay, now you're on record. No, I mean it. God saw that hand go up. Every time you think about it and see that you do, pray for the rain. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Have a great day. Hey, Deborah. I didn't think you were. Yeah, and I know the Lord had told me that when I started, like, after three weeks of coming here. I said, oh, my gosh, I didn't even know. I said, I know Pastor Mike knows that I wasn't angry or anything. No. But here's a night.